0: Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call.
1: My aunt and uncle married of 40 years, both contracted COVID. My uncle actually passed of COVID and my aunt, no matter what we said, did not want to be vaccinated.
2: I had a patient that I was consulted to see in the emergency room in Dearborn elderly woman. She's Arabic from Dearborn. She was actually a Syrian refugee. And when I asked her if she was vaccinated, she said no. She was short of breath and requiring a lot of oxygen in order to breathe. She told me that she didn't want to take the vaccine because her daughter told her to wait because they will know more about the vaccine later. So she didn't take the vaccine at that time.
0: I have a patient that I saw the first time. He is originally from from Puerto Rico. He's here with his family. They didn't want to have vaccination. Unfortunately, all of them were high risk patients. All of them got the virus and they were in critical condition. He's the only survivor after he recovered, he said he was going to have the vaccination. And he, and he's actually an advocate to talk to people about what happened to him and to convince others that that was the right option to do having the vaccination.
3: Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're talking about vaccine hesitancy, particularly in the Black, Hispanic, and Arabic communities. Joining us for this is Mo Menard, Director of Nursing at Beaumont-Farmington Hills, Dr. Hanandi Das, an Infectious Disease Specialist and Director of Infection Prevention at Beaumont-Dearborn, and Dr. Alfredo Navarro, an internal medicine provider at Beaumont Health. Thank you all so much for being with us today. As the Delta variant continues to spread across the country, infection rates are increasing, especially for people who are not vaccinated. Blacks and Hispanics still remain less likely to receive the vaccine compared to other communities, leaving them more vulnerable. Here in Michigan, we see similar with the Arab American population. We know this virus disproportionately impacts people of color and building vaccine confidence will help reduce health disparities going forward. Vaccine hesitancy is a huge problem, and today our guest can help us unpack why. So, Mo, I'm so glad that you're here today. We've worked together on a lot of vaccine initiatives, so I'm excited to have you talk a little bit more. But as I mentioned earlier on, and we've talked about this ourselves, is that you know, Black adults contract COVID-19 at the same rate as white adults, but they're twice as likely to die from the disease. Oh, yeah. And yet many Black people are still um, really hesitant to get the shot. And with the Delta variant spreading, it's becoming more of a concern. So can you, can you tell me from your experience as you're a member of the um, Black community, why is it that people are still hesitant?
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, You know, I enjoy any time I get to talk about the vaccine hesitancy. Um, You know, it's interesting because uh, just early this morning, I had another group of actually employees that I, you know, spoke with about the vaccine hesitancy. And um, the majority of the group was African-American. And it amazes me the myths that are constantly repeated. We the trust uh, in the medical community among African Americans is, you know, I, there really aren't any words to describe. So we still can't stop talking about the Tuskegee experiment. When when you even try to explain to people that it wasn't that they gave them something, they didn't give them something. You know, when you try to explain, you know, how all that went down, it, you know, there's uh, s- stories that have been passed from friend to friend and family member to family member. And social media has now become to be what we are stating as fact. The hesitancy that you hear over and over again, really, and just the information and feedback I'm getting from the groups that I'm talking to is from that mistrust in the medical community, believing that even as far as that we are being injected with microchips, so that we can be monitored, and you know, it's so sad because I say, "Do you have a cell phone? You be like, we can find you anyway with the cell phone, yeah. right?" <laughs> to me, right now, there is not enough footwork being done around the busting of the myths. Like, it would be wonderful if we had soldiers on the ground just myth busting with facts all
3: day long. So, Mo, it sounds like you're saying it's really a lot to do with mistrust and then also misinformation. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm definitely like when we get this army of uh, misinformation busters,
1: I'm recruiting you to join me on the line. Oh, so listen, (laughs) I will be your number one myth buster. I I just had an employee ask me and I this was the first time I ever got this question. She asked me, why are you all making me take all three vaccines? Why do I have to take the Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer, and the Moderna? I said, oh, my God, you don't. But see, what you, I'm glad she asked that because in her mind, if she had this information that she was misinformation, she was under the impression she had to take all three vaccines. So, yes, I, I will definitely be on your myth- Busting task
3: force. <laughs> um, Dr. Das, what are you seeing in your community in the Arab American community?
2: The Arab American community is uh, is very closely related to the African American and other minority groups, and so uh, it's more about uh, you know the social media and who they follow on YouTube or other social media venues and what kind of information they are presented with. And uh, for some people, um, those YouTubers are easier to follow, easier to understand, even if they present the wrong information, but it's easier to um, uh, repeat and digest. So you see a lot of uh, similar myths that Mo was talking about, that those are uh, tracking devices, not vaccines. They cite uh, the rapidity of the approval, the emergency use uh, approval of the uh, mRNA vaccines, and uh, they suspect that this uh, is due to um, another goal other than uh, protecting the communities from COVID-19. You see a lot of rumors circulating, especially among the young females about fertility concerns overtaken an mRNA vaccine. and um, those also stem from social media and the amount of information that uh, they are presented with and they find uh, quite accessible. and, and they have uh, access to people who are celebrities on uh, those uh, places. Uh, They have uh, more followers than the combined uh, healthcare systems in all of Michigan. Uh, And those millions of people, uh, you know, give uh, the power and some credibility to the false claims they have uh, over social media. And that's what's really getting uh, to the Arab American community, unfortunately.
3: Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of the same, but also uh, what I like that you mentioned was health literacy being... An issue. So, if you are a physician and you're giving information, but your information is not digestible, um, people are going to sources that are a lot more simple to understand, and a lot of times they may not be the most reputable sources. Um, so, well, like I said, we'll get into it a little bit more um, what all of you have said, but I want to hear from Dr. Navarro um, to kind of talk about what what are you seeing in the Latino community.
0: I believe that there's so many misinformation that are out there. Uh, unfortunately. It's been happening for a little bit of time. When the vaccinations uh, came back, there is there's something that I always remember, and is that the majority of the people were the, who were vaccinated were mostly Caucasian. And it was um, a common belief, in, especially my patients, that it was more offered to them than to the rest of the population, especially minorities. But then you come with a diverse thought process that many people will have. Um, I have patients who, let's let's talk about basically Hispanic population, Spain, Latin America in general. We are going to see that there's a culture for some population, especially South American, where they believe that vaccination is a must and uh, they were very welcoming to that, but they couldn't find the vaccination available in many places, which is, the story has changed as you all know. Um, now it's more available, so it's just a matter to go there. Then you go to South America, uh, to Central American and Mexican, and uh, there's a little hesitancy. But remember that also a strong population, um, a big population of Hispanic American who have what were born here in the USA. Minorities have been taken for granted in this kind of health approach and uh, especially have been able to find themselves into a better health providing system compared to other populations. Um, So, I would say that based on what I've been finding, some of the, the people, yes, have been misinformed. And some of them have been telling that they prefer to wait a little longer to have the vaccination. When my intention to them, the information that I give them is that this is a vaccination that have been in process for a long period of time, I want to say 2002, when we first heard about the SARS, which we can call it SARS-1, and research that were done since then to try to bring a vaccination after. And uh, also the technology from 1960s and beyond, which is the Johnson & Johnson. So there are alternatives when people feel that they are hesitant, and I would say that it's mostly misinformation What have done that fewer people have the vaccination by this time.
3: I like that you mentioned a little bit about vaccine equity and access, and and the fact that some in some communities, the vaccine access didn't really become available until just, just now, um, and that's why we might be seeing fewer numbers of people um, getting vaccinated in minority communities. So it looks like mistrust is like a big deal um, uh, misinformation is a big deal, and then ba- just barriers in general of vaccine access, or maybe even technology barriers. Um, we don't really talk about that, but I noticed, that especially in the beginning, in order to make an appointment, you need to have adequate um, you know, resources to be able to do that in terms of technology and being able to navigate online. And I know for a lot of geriatric patients, uh, that was a difficult thing. Uh, they had to have people help them in order to do that. But so with that summary there, I just since we talked about mistrust, and I'll just open it to whoever wants the answer is, how do we build better trust in our healthcare communities? Because if we're not trusting the experts, we're not trusting the doctors and the providers that work in healthcare, that have studied healthcare, that understand medicine, um, and instead we're relying on celebrities who have no medical background whatsoever. I mean, we're in big trouble. So what do you you think? What would help improve um, some of that?
1: You know, one thing that just stands out for me, like repeatedly, is truly in order to break that barrier down with mistrust is being culturally aware and knowing your audience that you're serving. That makes people feel so much better when they can connect with the person giving the information. So,
3: like, really being able to talk to people where they're at, making sure that we're sensitive oh, we to health literacy. And I think, Dr. Das, you kind of alluded to that earlier about um, oh, yes. people following social media stars because they speak the, the language that people understand. In healthcare, we have been working a little bit more in trying to get um, implicit bias training, cultural um, dexterity training, helping people really understand different communities because we're all from different places and we all have different ideologies and backgrounds, but being able to just relate to people I think, is a huge thing. Um Dr. Dodds.
2: Yeah, I think it's uh I agree totally with Mo said. And I think diversity in healthcare workers brings something to the table because from different back people from different backgrounds possess the ability, the natural ability to communicate with different groups of people um, at a better level. And I think leaders from within those communities who could be healthcare workers and could be uh, essentially different kind of uh, professions, whether religious or other uh, backgrounds, can contribute so much to bringing people closer to the truth and to the uh, to see the big picture and the benefits uh, of uh, the healthcare interventions in general and specifically the vaccines. Although the vaccines may have a, another layer of um, of misconceptions and uh, even among the more educated, actually just recently the National Arab American Physician Association did a survey among physicians and healthcare workers who are Arabic and live in the United States and found that there is a big percentage of vaccine hesitancy, although those are people who are educated enough to go to the right resources, but they were still hesitant to take the vaccine. And and some of them uh, repeated what the uh, non-medical or non-professional people were saying about uh, the vaccine side effects or the uh, improper use of the COVID-19 vaccine. So there's definitely another layer uh, when it comes to the vaccination that has to be uh, taken care of. Dr. Navarro, what do you think?
0: I think that the most important thing to go through is for uh, creating trust. And trust, it cannot be built in one, two days. Uh, it takes time. i give you a short story. I, um, I'm originally from Venezuela. And uh, after you finish the medical school, you have to go away from the um, big big cities and you find terrific people, very humble and with label of education can be diverse. Um, And I remember that some of the people were walking in the clinic barefoot and not sure. And um, so you you begin to create the trust in the beginning. You don't tell anything, obviously, but then you tell them how many diseases you can have just walking bare feet in the street or uh, being without the right cover. Um, it rains, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I feel the same way here. I, I feel that I've been practicing for 21 years um, and I feel that it, it, it always takes time because you're going to always meet new individuals and we're going to meet individuals who um have a degree of education and may think exactly the same as anybody else Um, and i feel that when we build that trust and they can follow information that is not coming from the tv but is going from the right sources we can convince people that the correct thought processing should be the right choice to take the decision and have the right vaccination.
3: Yeah, I love that you say that. All of the things that you guys said were are just fantastic because I think, you know, for healthcare systems that are looking at how do we improve vaccination rates? It's like looking at the big picture, you know, hiring a, a diverse workforce. Um, like you said, uh, Dr. Das is so important because you're more likely to trust someone that's from your community that looks like you, speaks like you, can speak your language, et cetera. And then also, um, Dr. Navarro, as you mentioned, I think being able to spend time with people from different cultures, understanding where people are coming from rather than just judging, it, it's spending time in communities that are different than your own. I think that will also helps a lot in terms of understanding other communities and then also building trust between those between the community and yourself. So as a provider, I think that's a, an important thing to know to do. What's the best way to approach your community when having a vaccine conversation? Um, What do you find works best?
1: You know, I explained to them that my goal Right. I am vaccinated and I share my own story of having comorbidities. And even though mentally I believe that I could beat COVID physically, I know I can't. I have high blood pressure. I have had blood clots in my lungs. So I share all that with them. And then I tell them, I am not here to force you to get the vaccination. I am here to help you make an informed decision. So just starting it off like that to assure them that I'm not going to force them to get the vaccination vaccination and then we jump into myth busting. I've got a lot of uh, engagement and have been able to change a few people's minds. You know, when I'm talking to them about researching the information, I do explain to them that when you take the time to research, I'm not telling you to do it in a day. It's not going to take you a day to get through the emergency use trials if you go try to look them up. It, it might take you a couple of days, but allow yourself that opportunity to fact find for yourself.
3: Yeah, I love that empowerment model. And it's like you're trying to help work together with people. I think when we come at people with judgment or even with the notion that I'm here to change your mind, it doesn't go well, right? Uh, people get defensive. Nobody wants to get their, have their minds changed. But just having an open dialogue to answer questions and like maybe debunking some myths can open dialogue like you mentioned. Uh, Mo, I do have a question. So that story that you mentioned in the beginning, did she end up taking the vaccine or not?
1: Yes, my aunt did end up getting the vaccine after a very, um, man, she's she, a tough cookie. This woman was a very tough cookie. I, I did not think she was going to change her mind. And I'm like, hello, ma'am, you you have comorbidities. I had to remind her and my mom reminded her and our other family members and then her primary care doctor. You, do you think you, with your own health issues, can box up against COVID? just convincing her it took a lot of discussion it took a lot of discussion but i think what really finally hit her was when my mom went and got vaccinated and then our other aunt and i think that's when she said okay my sister's going i think i better do it you know but she she oh she drove her primary care doctor you know he has the patience of i'm telling you because she was the question she wouldn't stop which is a good thing which is a good right, thing right.
3: Yeah, so I'm glad she got her questions answered and, um, you know, was also inspired by a family member. So I think that's great. Um, Dr. Das, what's the best way to approach the Arab American community in your experience?
2: Many of the things that Mo mentioned apply also to the Arab American community, including starting the conversation, allowing questions to come and having the um, resources ready, easy to read resources so they can uh, provide, uh, in the case of the Arab American, for example, finding resources in Arabic. But it's also important to remember that the Arab American home is a multi generational home. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, the decision makers, not just from uh, physical or uh, uh, financial needs, usually the person who also uh, convinces the rest of the family to make healthcare decisions are those who are younger who have access to media resources, who have access to their community in general, who have those conversations with others outside the household, Uh, those are the ones who influence the decisions of the rest of the house. So in order to be able to achieve good results in those communities, you have to design conversations that are fit for different generations. So not just focusing on social media, for example, but also focusing on some written communication, person-to-person conversations, uh, allowing the elderly uh, to be heard also, to hear their concerns and their barriers, what they perceive as a barrier to getting vaccinated. Sometimes I had um, a patient who thought that the vaccine uh, clinic is just gonna, you know, knock on her door and give her the vaccine and go. Um, she, She had no way to understand how this works. So there are so many things that can be addressed uh, in the Arab American community in particular. Yeah, the
3: multi-generational thing I think is great because a lot of times people will look at well, there's availability everywhere or it's all over the media, but maybe people are not looking at that type of media. So being able to address different types of, like I liked how you said the written communication, audio communication. Dr. Navarro, in your experience, what's the best way to have a vaccine conversation with people from your community?
0: Well, I have to say that I've been hearing Mo and Dr. Das, and I'm very impressed because I feel uh, the empathy. I I worked in uh, Southwest Detroit before, coming here to uh, Bowman, Troy, and uh, I also worked in Dearborn. So the difference between uh, that to the Hispanic population is not that far away. And I agree with your um, intervention regarding the respect to their opinions. Sometimes we are not going to be able to change that, but the best approach beyond um, trying to educate the people is to share other people's experiences with vaccination, how they went with side effects, for example, or why did they do that? And the reason why I'm saying why did they do that is is because it's important for them to hear also um, that sometimes some patients say, I'm healthy, I never have even the flu, um, so why would I have the vaccination against COVID? And the best answer would be because you need to think in other people, your family, your friends, everybody who is um, susceptible, immunocompromised. So, You got to think not only yourself, but others to get the vaccination. And believe me, it has worked maybe two to three people out of 10. is probably a low number, but at least some people can be convinced.
3: You know, I was thinking also in general, you know, we were talking about not forcing people, but my my question is, is that now there's a lot of incentives for people to get vaccinated. Um, In addition to that, there's a lot of mandates as well. So I just wanted each of your thoughts in terms of, do you think incentives are a good idea to help get people vaccinated? And then also, what
2: are your thoughts in terms of mandates? I think the mandates They're going to make a subgroup of people who are uh, contemplating the vaccination, who may be under uh, peer pressure from their uh, local surrounding that uh, was stopping them from getting the vaccine. Maybe the vaccine mandate will give them that extra push to go ahead and take the vaccine. However, I don't think the vaccine mandate is going to work very effectively. And those who are either anti-vaxxers in general who don't believe in the vaccination as a whole, or who strongly believe that the vaccines for COVID are not for them. They just don't see it.
3: Yeah, you know, I think mandates have been, it's not unprecedented. I mean, especially in the healthcare institutions, you know, we all have to get our flu shots. Um, you know, before going to school, people have to get their vaccines, et cetera. Um, but I think that the approach is, is basically it sounds like we're just trying to get every angle that we can to capture as many people as possible. And is there someone that you know who you so badly wanted to get vaccinated and they just won't? What, what do you do in those situations or what advice do you give people that so badly want a friend, a colleague, a family member to get vaccinated and they're just, they just won't do it?
2: I did have that personal experience with my brother, actually, my own brother. He's wow. one year older than me. Um, he just didn't see it. He, it was early on in the vaccination period. He, he didn't want it. And I think uh, his work <laughs> mandated the vaccine in order for him to be able to uh, do it. So he ended up taking the vaccine because of the mandate. And I think that was one uh, situation where the mandate worked very well. And I and I think he he now reflects on it and advocates for the vaccine. He said there's a lot of things that I that I that I just got wrong, and I'm glad that you know eventually I did it, and I, I didn't uh, experience bad side effects, and I didn't experience the downtime that I thought I was going to experience, and I and I saw uh, other family members go down with COVID, so I I I, I understand my risk better now. So I think it's just the continued conversation.
1: I have a childhood friend who uh, you know, is not getting it and still not talking to me. It's okay. I don't <laughs> you know, they'll eventually come around, but I'm just like you you are spending more time telling me information that is not factual for reasons to support why you don't want to get the vaccine. Oh, and guess what? He just had what? COVID. I I really hope he comes around. His wife is uh, starting to come around a little bit. So, you know, the wife can always give a good nudge.
3: It's difficult. I think it's difficult. I think what you guys are all saying is that we've all had family members or friends that um, have not been vaccinated and who we really hope do. And I think it's just really important that we give them time and give them the resources and really work on building trust. Um, So to wrap up, I just want to maybe just like a real brief one-liner of what you think it will take to move the needle in your community.
0: I think that all of us are struggling a lot and uh, a matter of time can tell the difference. Uh, We need to keep persuading. We need to keep uh, strong. We need to keep believing. We need to tell people that they're um, the correct choices for information. This is so new for all of us. Sure, it's different than 1918 um, Spanish flu, but the the Hispanic population likes looking for sources for um, what all of us here in this group can tell them because they like hearing from people who have had the experience. Uh, As a practitioner, I would say this is a matter of time and they will get better.
1: I really, I really, we need the myth busters. We need the myth buster task force. That's it.
2: That's it. Yeah, I agree with everything that being said from the Arab American community. I think it's just the people from who speak their language, who come back from the same uh, background uh, can can make a difference. But they have to have their time, the availability, and also understand the questions and allow those questions to come in in order to be able to um, persuade the rest of the population to take the vaccine.
3: Yep, so we're going to recruit all of you for our MythBuster Task Force that Mo keeps harping on, but thank you guys so much for being advocates in your community. I know you've all been working on the front lines and... um, It's tiring to work in this pandemic, but you guys not only are taking care of patients and your family and friends and yourselves, but also advocating for your community to end this pandemic overall. So thank you guys so much again for your time. Um, I know we've got some surges post Labor Day and all of us are busy, but thank you for spending time with us on the podcast. We also wanna remind you that we have a lot of podcasts around the vaccine. Uh, We have a labor and delivery episode where we talk about risk factors for pregnant patients and people who are breastfeeding and worried about fertility. We also have an episode on misinformation to learn how to combat that. And then we have several episodes uh, regarding the vaccine. So if you have questions and concerns, take a listen to those. Till the next time, thanks for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. As we talk today with our guests, discuss your vaccine concerns with your trusted healthcare provider. The vaccine works. We have so much evidence that it works. Have a compassionate conversation with your family or friend and really try to meet people where they are. And through having compassion for our community members, we can get through this pandemic.
0: Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.